Hi there, and welcome to the Consumed Podcast. It's the podcast where we are consumed by and are consuming popular culture, primarily video games. Uh, my name is Ben Fox, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Katie. Good afternoon. hey But actually, it's morning here, not afternoon. Yeah, well, I thought you'd do me the common courtesy of respecting <laughs> my, my timeline. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, um, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Yourself? Cool. Yep, yeah, also average. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So our uh, podcast is broken down into three sections not dissimilar to a meal. Uh, we've got the starter, the main course, and the dessert. And the starter, as always, is just a general discussion about non-video game things we've been doing this week in quarantine. So, Katie, let's start with you. What have you been up to? Sure. Uh, I've been doing a bit of reading what i know i know You've come on this video game podcast to talk about reading <laughs> talk about Don't think a so. real life book no no okay well too bad because it's coming at you uh <laughs> my my bff Lena is gonna get mentioned a shout out two weeks in a row she's gonna get a, a big head so she actually got me a gift of a book called the secret lives of color and I have been using it any day that we've had any drop of sunshine. I've been going out onto our back porch and sitting in the sun and reading through this book. And it is shockingly good. I'm so into it. So the book is called The Secret Lives of Color by, what's her name? Uh, Kasia St. Clair. And it goes through, you know all the different like a very wide spectrum of some well-known and some very little known colors and talks about kind of where they came from cool which is you know something that i never never really thought about in some cases that colors had to be like discovered by artists and things yeah so it kind of it'll start with like the general category like yellow and then it'll break it down into like lead yellow and acid yellow and or oh, cool. orpiment and like some of these kind of lesser known um, hues. So is it is it only about the generation of these colors, or is it also about the significance the colors go on to have yeah. in history? Or yeah, it definitely does. Like the one I I I'm thinking about yellow because I just was reading that yesterday, but it talks about like imperial yellow, which was a pigment that they used in china and it could only be it could it was like illegal to wear it if you weren't part of the chinese royal family so they it you know really goes to the significance of some of these colors and especially how painters would be like waiting for a ship to come in and it would have a tiny they'd have like a tiny little satchel of this of dutch blue or whatever on the uh, in their boat that they could buy and they would all be like yeah. clamoring for this for this new pigment to use and how a lot of them uh awesome. contributed to you know a lot of deaths because they were toxic for the most part in the beginning <laughs> um, do you think there'll be a section on communism when you read red i haven't i haven't got to that yet i just uh, i'm halfway through orange right now so i think that red is the next one but yeah it does go into the sort of significance sometimes political history that cool. colors have had so that sound that does sound like a great 
read. Um, is it something that Lena had read and she just wanted to share it? Yeah, yeah, I think that she had gotten it as a gift. Um, and even, I mean, I'm not a huge artist or anything, but they they delve into a lot of the background outside of, you know, how colors are used in art. So if you like sweet painting, if you like color, if you like books, strong recommend. Nice. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I definitely want to read it. So when you uh, get back here, that'll be one of the first things I do. Bring it along. Um, you'll come out of the airport and I'll just immediately start <laughs> rifling through your bag uh, yeah. and just read it silently on the way home. You'll have to drive me. You have to drive me home. <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. That's unfortunate. Speaking, speaking of reading, um, I just finished a book last night, actually, on the recommendation of my mm-hmm. mother. Um, Look at us, I, I, reading. I, yeah. Yeah, we could make a whole new podcast. Um, but it's, uh, I feel a bit sort of odd about mentioning this sort of thing on a podcast because it, it's difficult, because it's, it's a diet book. Um, and so my, my mother, as well as me, uh, have been on many diets. Well, I think it fits in, the in with the consumed. Yes, you're right. You're right. There, yeah, there is an element of connection there for sure. Um, but, you know, because a lot of these diets are, are fads and come and go, and a lot of people get paid a lot of money to promote certain diets, it, it's obviously, obviously, it's nothing like that. They, you know, <laughs> uh, Dr. Michael Mosley is not trying to get in on our eight viewers a week, and he's not paid me a lot of money to discuss this. <laughs> and actually, I've not even started the diet. I just finished the book this morning mm. and went and did some shopping. But my mum recommends it thoroughly and she has been doing it a little longer. Um, I won't go into a lot of detail because I'm pretty sure most people aren't interested. But it's called the um, the eight-week blood sugar diet. And it's aimed primarily at diabetics or those with um, pre-diabetes. But also those who just want to lose weight quickly. Um, and the conceit is that you... It's sort of keto-Atkins-like in that you cut down dramatically on carbohydrates... Mm. Um, it's not like Atkins where you it's religious, no carbohydrates. There's a lot more flexibility um, than that. Um, but you're also allowed only 800 calories a day, which obviously isn't, isn't very many. And by the way, if you are listening to this and you think, oh, that's a diet I might want to try, please read the book and don't do anything <laughs> based on my incoherent ramblings now, um, because that's probably not healthy. But yeah, so the idea is that it's, just, it's, it's simple. It's just, look, lower calories over a sustained period of time. The medical research actually suggests that losing weight that rapidly doesn't have long-lasting effects. One of the myths he tries to debunk is this idea of rapid rate loss leading to rapid regain, um, whereas actually the research doesn't support that in the same way, especially if you're doing a diet, as this one suggests, a Mediterranean diet, which is very you know largely protein-based, um, lots of things like fish and cheese um, that can fulfill you. Um, people actually find transitioning out of this to a sort of a larger mm. calorie but with the same sorts of foods quite easy um so i've yeah i've decided to give it a go because as i've said in the in a few of the other podcasts i have been trying to get i have been exercising more and been running um but i'm still way over um the weight i should be so i'm uh, i'm going to add this diet to to that and and see how it goes but it's a, it's a very readable book um it's got lots of very um easy to follow recipes because i'm no cook as you know katie um there are lots of things even i could do in there um yeah um and actually a lot of the philosophies 
in inverted commas in there chime with me quite a lot in that you know he there's a whole chapter on mindfulness for example which again as as you know katie i'm you know i'm a big um proponent of, sure. of mindfulness meditation so it, it clicked with me on on a number of levels and i don't think it'll be that difficult to implement into my lifestyle so um yeah if anyone's interested i'll, I'll update you on how that's going I think, next week. yeah i think it's a good thing to do i think that's a good you know it's now is as good a time as ever to do some reading about you know having a healthy body i think that we initially yeah. kind of started this podcast um because we were trying to consume media that would be good for our mental health but it is yep. you know important to consume things for your physical health too <laughs> as, Absolutely, as long yeah. as we're pushing the food metaphor i i am interested <laughs> yeah. to see i think it's like to I, i've just been looking into going low carb which is very difficult when you're vegan <laughs> because yeah you're, everything because that's comes the, from the carbs. difference between yeah you and me is that i'm pescatarian mm. so i'm i just can load up on fish for yeah. most of the protein but for veganism it's, it's like beans and potatoes and and all that stuff but i am i feel yeah. like i could definitely stand to cut out super fish like superfluous carbs yeah like you know, yeah me, me too definitely potatoes and, about, and things like that. yeah and the, and the thing is apparently you find as with keto that as, as soon as your body is used to a lower amount of carbs you find yourself being hungry much less often so um it sort of is a, is a self-fulfilling prophecy in a good way so if, if you want to check that out it's called the eight week blood sugar diet it's by dr michael mosley he was he's also known for, for something fasting, called the five right? two and for fasting yeah so um he's a big proponent of of, of fasting and his five two diet i think is it's five days normal eating and then mm-hmm. two days on this 800 calories so you've got a bit of intermittent fasting between those um um periods of eating so um yeah I, I can't recommend it really at this stage because I, I don't know the impact it will have. Yeah, but we'll it comes, th- it comes, it comes highly recommended from my mother if that means <laughs> uh, if that means much to you, um, as it should. So uh, yeah, that's that. Um, Katie, anything else? Um, yeah, I kind of just was going to tack this in because I thought of it right when we started recording because we do a little like a clap to sync up our audios. Yeah. Um, but I did the same thing last at last what sometime last week um i did a recording for eric whitaker's virtual choir um cool well, i i think i sort of introduced eric whitaker to you ben oh yeah yeah one of my favorite pieces of music is the, the river, river Cam, Cam by eric yeah. whitaker i love it so much yeah so he um yeah he's been a big musical favorite since i you know started performing his pieces in high school with choir so he's done i think this is the sixth sixth virtual choir um where he wrote a song to perform and then you record your video by yourself and you just sing in in your room (laughs) in your room alone and then uh he puts it all together and has a video with people you know singing from all over the world so that's really cool that's awesome do you have any sense of um when it's going to be complete and watchable i uh, think i can't remember the deadline to submit your videos was was like this weekend i think so i'm guessing in you know the next month or so we'll hopefully see a finished product awesome that's great that's a lovely thing to do um yeah he's he's a very good in fact i should listen to more of his work but i just liked that one piece and didn't really research around so he's a cool dude yeah the last thing then before we move on to our main topic um as far as things i've been watching um i've started because i finished 
as I said last week, I was going through Peep Show again, your favourite show. Um, finished it. I'm up to I'm up to date with Brooklyn Nine Nine. I finished my second run of Community. Um, so I've run out of stuff. It's like there's there's nothing now that I really want to watch on Netflix or any other. Oh well, actually, I'll talk about this next week because I only just started it. I did buy the collection of Cowboy Bebop, the anime. Have you heard uh, of that one? I used to watch that. Was that on like Adult Swim on Cartoon? It Network? might have been. I think I might have watched bits of it then. It's incredibly well regarded. It's it's insane. It's it's like I think um, sort of known as one of the best animes of all time and it's all it's one of the ones that people recommend to people who don't like anime um i do really love anime and um but i just thought oh, I'll, I'll get onto that it's not the sort of thing i could binge mm-hmm. and have on with with um a video game which is usually how i consume this sort of thing um but i i have i got it off the google store and i watched a couple of episodes and it is so good nice. but i'll uh, i'll watch more of it and, sp- and speak about that next week what i was going to discuss was the Good Place, which is on Netflix. Um, have you heard of this one, Katie? Uh, only in the in briefly from what you've told me. Yeah. Um, so the premise is that um, the protagonist, played by Christian Bell, Kristen Bell, I think is her yeah. name. I know her from other things, but I can't bring them to mind at the moment. Um, Wicked um, was she in? Is she the singer? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you could be right. Um, she wakes up and like in Frozen. The good pl- Oh, perhaps. I think that yeah. Yes, I think I think, she's I think you might be right. Frozen. Yes, uh, she, does she play Anna in Frozen? The, uh, no, the other one. Elsa. Yes. Isn't that isn't that a famous? Isn't that the girl from Glee who does that? No, 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 no. I think it's. Does I the think, girl? I think it's this Kristen. She's bland, right? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She sings "Let It Go" then. Yeah, I think so. All my all of the friends. Okay. Speaking of music nerd friends, they're all shouting at the end of the headphones yeah. to yeah tell me, but yeah I oh right I'm okay sure I thought it was maybe maybe the Let It Go was re released with that singer from Glee yeah, she sung maybe. it and released it as a sing uh, but anyway yeah um, regardless she's the, she's the protagonist the conceit is that she wakes up in the good place mm. and it's essentially heaven um, she's confronted by a guy who's like you know, you've done. He presents a chart and says that these are all of the things you've done in your life. They all had an e- a positive or a negative impact on something. And your score is charted over your life. And then you either go to the good place or bad place. So obviously the allegory is, is clear. There's religious sure. overtones all over the shop. Um, but she's ended up in the good place. But the the premise is that she's sitting there and she sort of accepts all of the, all of the information they're throwing at her. And then later reveals in the first episode... I sh- I shouldn't be here. I was an incredibly average human being who did bad things on a daily basis, and everyone around her is like a paragon of society who's who's only been uh, phenomenal to those around them during their life. Um, so that's the the central um, conflict, and the sort of the story revolves around it. I've watched about eight episodes. I I I've enjoyed it a lot. It stars as well Ted Danson from Cheers fame, oh. um, and he's also in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's he's the guy who. He's the architect, the guy who creates this good place. Um, and also, which I think will get you on board, it stars Adam Scott as yes! the opposite of this guy, who, for those of you who don't know, is Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. He comes and plays sort of like the demon leader of the bad place and is, nice. is brilliant. Um, very, very funny. Yeah, so I, I have to say, I was sort of middling on it for a little while. Um, it's different to a normal sitcom like 
Brooklyn Nine-Nine or whatever, the, the, the bits of a sitcom usually feel very contained in an episode. This almost feels like a huge film because the special effects are very good. It's very high budget. Almost feels like a huge, like, 20-hour film that's just been chopped up. So, like, it always ends on a cliffhanger and the narrative always directly continues. Mm. So it doesn't have the sort of traditional... Um, sitcom format of self-contained episodes yeah. it, it's a very clear linear narrative um, but it, it's it's funny and it's enjoyable I would I would be lying if I said I was blown away by it at the moment but there are also only four seasons which I, I'd take to be an encouraging sign if they know if they've known when to stop um, so yeah I'll, I'll let you know how that goes but I'm enjoying it a lot and it's it's improved immeasurably by Adam Scott obviously Sick. Um, yeah cool is there anything you want to Anything, anything else you want to say before we move on to the main course? I think that's it. That's that's a heavy starter. I hope that is a heavy starter. Hope you all saved room for the main course. Ugh. Yeah, that was a massive helping of like nachos corn or cocktail. something. Oh, na- yeah, yeah, nachos is better. A heaping pile of nachos. Anyway, uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back after this. course which is one game that we're going to discuss together usually it's something new and relevant um that people are going to want to listen to about but not today i'm afraid um we sort of come to the end for now of games that we've played enough of that have come out very recently um we've got one on the book for next week and then i think we've got one after that so normal servers will be resumed then um but today we're talking about a game katie's been playing and i've played a lot of because it's no exaggeration to say it is my favorite game of all time yes it's final fantasy 10 yes i love this game and always have came well actually i don't have any of the stats um so let's just 2001 i looked it up (laughs) 2001 thank you came out in 2001 um jrpg by school i think they were still square soft at the Mm. time obviously Square Enix now people would argue their trajectory went downhill as soon as they became Square Enix Um, (laughs) but Final Fantasy X was excellent so Katie you've been playing it recently how have you been finding it I did yeah this was this was the first game that I booted up once I got my old PlayStation 2 back up and running again Um, this was like right at the beginning of like quarantine and I was just kind of looking for something something familiar something yeah. for uh for a little comfort I guess I think it is a comforting game to play I yeah. think it's just mechanically very approachable yeah and I, yeah, th- I think that was a big part of uh why I why I, I got back into it so quickly I mean I think that this was probably the f- first Final Fantasy game that I that I owned and it was like my my copy because I think as we mentioned on well, our first episode that I had played through all of Final Fantasy 7 just by borrowing it from different friends at different <laughs> amount of times yeah. um, but I, I I found my my case and I bought it used for 19.99 probably from like nice. GameStop or something so yeah I think that was the first the first Final Fantasy game that I that I called my own. Interesting. For those of you who are interested, which I'm sure you are, my first Final Fantasy game was Final Fantasy VIII, mm. and I bought it for £5 off a friend. I think I ripped him <laughs> off, but he offered. 
and the and the reason the reason that happened was because I'd gone around his house and he was playing Final Fantasy Nine, and during the days of the PlayStation One, and I had taken the piss out of it relentlessly because it was a JRPG. And now I I had to think I thought the other day that I throw around the term JRPG a lot. Um, especially when we did Final Fantasy VII, mm. and I'm sure 99% of the people know what that means. But for those of you who don't, it's Japanese role-playing game. Um, Final Fantasy being maybe the most famous Japanese role-playing game. So I'd gone around his house to play Final Fantasy IX, and he and I just said, "What is this? Turn-based battles? <laughs> you can't even move and hit with your sword no. with square. You just..." select something from a menu and he's got a tail what is this disgusting nonsense is are you a child i said to him and i think i was maybe eight or nine and he was very upset and for some reason i don't know how it happened but that the end of that conversation was why don't you buy final fantasy 8 off me which i did and fell in love with it and i've been in love with turn-based japanese role-playing games ever since set you on a set you on a path yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so those were the ones on PlayStation 1, Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, all very good games, all beginning to deal with 3D um, polygons. Um, and then Final Fantasy 10 was a huge shift forward because that was the one on PlayStation 2, which obviously had a, a much better architecture. Um, the 3D looked a lot mm-hmm. better. And of course... It was the first um, RPG in the series to involve full voice acting mm. because beforehand all the games had just been text-based and you were reading the conversations. But this one, for better or worse, had full um, full voice acting True in that. it. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, it's it's recently been... Re- well, I say recently, a few years ago, it was re-released on everything. It was, it was on PS3, PS4, PS Vita. I've got all of the copies. And actually I love it. now, just I think just last year, uh, for the Switch... Cool. Which I was going to yeah, bring so up as, as, I mean, this is, yeah, jumping the gun, but now that it's on the Switch, I think it's so worth it to, to as this, just like Final Fantasy VII was, as this, uh, to be a game to come back to. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I've got it on the Vita as well, which obviously is portable. It works really well as a portable game, but maybe we'll come to that when we, at the end when we come to the remaster mm-hmm. itself. Let's focus then on Final Fantasy X itself for a little bit, the the older version and uh, what it actually is for those who don't know. Um, so thinking first about the story, it's an interesting one. You play Tidus. Do you say Tidus or Tidus? I say Tidus. What do you say? I also say Titus, but I have a feeling we're both wrong. Oh, but uh, let's just let's just say, say Titus <laughs> for now. Um, you play as Titus, who's this. Um, he's sort of interestingly for a Japanese role-playing game, which are mostly about swords and dragons and that sort of thing. You play. He's a sports star um, of the fictional game of Blitzball, and he lives in the metropolis of Zanakind. Um, and he, you know, you start the game, and there are lots of fa- adoring fans coming up to you, trying to get um, you to sign stuff. You watch an awesome cutscene of you playing this football game, but it's underwater, and you're swimming around. Somehow, you don't need to breathe yeah. underwater, but it's really cool. Um, Ramstein are playing, and there's rock music, and it's like, yes, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, and then a big demonic whale comes from the sky and sucks Tidus up along with his mentor Oren. Already, this and is sounding they- inex- inexplicable. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they end up in the idyllic um, seaside sort of, sort town, of seaside town of Besaid in the in the land of Spira. And Titus is not known to this world; he knows nothing about it. The culture is very different to what he understands. And the story progresses from there. 
what I love about it is that Tardis is a, a, a classic fish out of water. So you learn about the world of Spira through his eyes because he knows nothing about this place. And it follows him on his journey with a ragtag bo- uh, group, as, as JRPGs often do, um, alongside Yuna, who is a summoner. Um, do you want to explain what a summoner is, Katie? You've played it more recently than me. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the summons are something that we see in all Final Fantasy games. Yeah. Um, but, but normally... Um... Not all, but most. most. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a common trope, I think, of having some like being that you can call upon and battle come down and help you. I think that from, I mean, you know, I guess this is just speaking from Final Fantasy VII, where the summon is a certain care, like a, a certain like a weapon almost that you can give to different yeah. characters, and they can bust it out in battle willy nilly. But and essentially, it's just a command, isn't it, yeah. in the menu? That's all it is, yeah. Which in Final Fantasy X, it's very different because it's just this one character, Yuna, who kind of calls upon these summons, and she's the only one who can do it. And they... Is it the only Final Fantasy X game that has sort of a religious element to things? Because the explanation yeah. of the summons is that they're they're kind of... Um, they're part of this religion, um, Yevin, which a bunch of yeah. these characters in this small town that Titus gets dropped into follow. And so Yuna yeah. is a summoner, kind of like a like a priest almost in oh, this God, religion. This game. Go on, yeah. So Go it's, on. A, it's a very different take, I th- take on summons, I think, than the other games. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think what it does is it really grounds... That some of them, mm. some of the mm-hmm. aspects of the of the mechanics in a in a reality that feel really organic, yeah. So like you say, usually a summon, you press a button, something comes in and destroys everything, and that's it. It's like a sort of hail mary. Mm-hmm. If you're losing a battle, you'll summon something to try and take everything out. Um, but as Katie's well explained, yeah, you, Una summons things because that's her job as a summoner to to summon these beings into into battle, and then you can control them, can't you? You you yeah. come. I mean, we'll talk about that in gameplay, but you select their commands, which again is is an evolution of, of what came before. Um, but you're right; it all revolves around this religion of Yevon, which you learn more and more about. The idea is that as people die, their soul is released and sort of floats around and goes to different places. Um, and what a summoner does is is calls back those souls right and 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 they sort of form into into summons and can be used for good but occasionally these uh, these lost souls can if they're not if they don't go to the far plane which is the this game's equivalent of heaven they end up becoming monsters in the world so all of the various beasties that you fight are these souls that have been corrupted in some way or lost they become these monsters that you find out on the road but what a summoner does is she uh, or he because yuna's not the Mm -hmm. only one it's a culture and is a sort of a pilgrimage aspect that everybody's doing various summoners are doing but their job is to take these souls and guide them and i think perhaps as reward or for whatever reason because these souls maybe know that the summoners Mm -hmm. are, are forces for good or whatever they can be called upon on to become these summons for the team so that's the the basic premise and i don't think there's really any need to go into any more details about what happens there um but what what are your impressions we'll come on to voice acting obviously which i think is a, is a bit of a different stance but um <laughs> just as mechanically as a story what what do you think about it i i think they do a very good job like you said Titus is dropped into this new world and you have to learn about all the things that are going on through him and it all feels very organic 
as opposed to I feel like some of the more recent fi- like I'm thinking of like Final Fantasy 12 specifically and I think <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 to some extent revolves yeah. around political dramas since, between yeah. like different countries and kingdoms that are like a bit a bit stuffy and kind of hard to get Dry. into yeah yeah. But while you're walk- while you're going through the various um, places of Spira and seeing, I think that the organicness comes from the way that different um, the different like races of Spira are designed yes. and how they interact so well just makes it feel like a like a fleshed out world with this kind of religious undercurrent um, yeah. going through it. I completely agree. And I think that, yeah, I suppose religious themes have been explored before, but I think they're explored really interestingly mm-hmm. in 10. And as you say, it, Yevon sort of permeates all aspects of, of Spira and, and the various races. So I think that's really, really effective. And interestingly, I completely agree. Spira, maybe out of any Final Fantasy um, setting, I think feels real. It mm-hmm. feels like a place that, that could exist. Its logic sort of works within itself. Um, which is especially interesting because it is, and one of the, the um, things people don't like about Ten, uh, much like Thirteen that came later, is that it's a very linear game. Isn't yeah. It? There's there's no real open world. You're not going round Spira and choosing where to go. You're essentially walking a long, beautiful corridor where you go through these different areas and, and go into different aspects of, uh, into different regions of Spira. But I think that actually works in its favour because it, it very much guides you in a, in a natural way through all these different places. And it, the way they're laid out, again, makes sense within the mm-hmm. world. It's not suddenly jump-cutting between different places. You can see the places get colder and bleaker before you end up at Mount Gagazette and then you get beyond that to certain areas mm-hmm. that, that races in Luca aren't protected particularly familiar familiar with you have to get on a boat and cross the ocean to get to luca this this central city it just all feels very very natural authentic yeah. yeah um so i think weirdly that that linear nature works for the story and, and the world building i think the characters are generally excellent i would say yuna is a highlight for me mm-hmm. i think she she's well developed and actually goes on to into some interesting directions if yeah. we ever talk about final <laughs> fantasy 10 too yeah. um very interesting the way the way she's developed i actually like tidus i i know that a lot of people hate him mm-hmm. and regard him as one of the worst protagonists of the series and i think again that's largely because of the voice acting yeah. what's your position on tidus katie yeah i think if this is if this is sort of moving into game play a bit or game just just this sort of general feel of it because i i I remember uh, you know also being a huge fan of this game as a kid and then something happened as i stepped away from it for years and it also it almost attained this like i don't know final fantasy 10 kind of got mocked a bit as like being a being a weak part of the final fantasy series most yeah i think a lot of it because of Titus and because of some of the ridiculous scenes and dialogue that that do crop up especially in the beginning of the game maybe let's just address that elephant in the room now then before we get (laughs) on to gameplay yeah the voice acting that adds a lot to these characters in some sense um, often backfires um, because a lot of it's terrible genuinely awful really bad I mean I'm glad that it's there and that it's better than just reading it but uh 
it's very hokey, feels over delivered a lot mm-hmm. of the time, um, not very natural, like perhaps the setting is. And maybe it's to do with the translation out of Japanese as well. Some of the conversations are very odd. Very uncomfortable. Aren't very uncomfortable. And so the combination of this new weird voice acting and some of the translation issues mean that there are some bizarre scenes that don't make a lot of sense and are known to be some of the most cringeworthy things in gaming. The most common example cited, which I'm about to perform a robust oh, defense no. of... I'm going to have to take my headphones um, off. <laughs> is 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 the laughing sequence outside when you finish up in Luca this sort of capital well, my city chest is getting tight. Capital, <laughs> you might for those of you who haven't played Final Fantasy 10 I'm sure you'll know or know have or heard of this scene or go and look it up on YouTube like right now yeah certainly go and watch it yeah yeah fine I'm I'm not defensive about it it's fine it involves Yuna and Tidus um on this balcony pretending to laugh and it sort of sounds like ha 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 and they're both they're both laughing at the same time and it's bizarre and they're doing it out into the city and the rest of the team are looking at them bemused not sure what's going on and a lot of people hate this scene what's your position katie it it is it's tough and i think it's attained such a status of being you know really cringy that it maybe colored my perception of it a bit darker while I was away <laughs> from it. But yeah. I am going to say, coming back to it for the first time in many years, yeah, I can very much appreciate the sentiment of that scene now. Because yeah. I, I don't know how much we'll touch on, like Ben mentioned, that there's sort of this pilgrimage that summoners are having to do. And it's sort of a, as you've get further on in the story it it can be a, a bit of a dark dark time for summoners on their pilgrimage and yuna is saying like sometimes i just have to like pretend i'm happy like fake it till you make it yeah. and just like yeah. force a smile and then i feel better about it so the sentiment and the message behind a lot of these cringy scenes i found that i can appreciate them more yeah. and that i'm not they're not quite as bad as i think that they've been maybe built up yeah. to I'm not I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that I'm heightened or better than everyone else but <laughs> that, that 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 is yeah that's the read I had it as a however year old what 11 yeah. year old because the scene is cringeworthy but it quite for me it quite obviously is designed to be cringeworthy yeah i feel like it's, it's meant it's to be much horrendously more self-aware difficult. than i think that yeah. people give it credit so, for so yeah the voice acting, as I say, definitely adds a sort of extra something something Uncanny. that makes it quite unpalatable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea that they are trying to confront horrendous odds with just forcing themselves to laugh, and it's sort of the you know the early elements of a relationship, um, and they're sort of connecting on that level, and that you know even the other characters are looking at them saying, "What the hell is going on? This is this is unbearable." To me, as you say, that's self-aware enough. To, and that scene makes sense within that world that, I, you know, while it is, oh, the laugh is a bit um, toe-curling, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, it's a bad scene. It definitely doesn't deserve the ire it's yeah. got um, over the ages. But I would also be lying to say that that's the only cringy moment and a lot of the dialogue is... A bit stilted. Stilted and um, weird and odd. Um, but I think 
the story itself is strong the ideas are strong the main concepts are good and the character fundamentals are good mm-hmm. it's just some of that moment to moment dialogue that maybe doesn't hold up quite as well as it mm-hmm. could um but generally i mean especially compared to some of the recent final fantasy stories we've got yeah so no it's probably not as well written overall or as um perhaps as well conceived in some areas as seven but it's better than eight it's better than 12 like you say if you you know political intrigue aside i think 12's a lot drier than people Mm. give it credit for it's better much better than 13 uh and it's much better than 15 so it's a it's a very good story um and i think you know if you wanted just a decent time with a with a jrpg narrative you could do far far Mm -hmm. far worse and while it has got that reputation right now um retrospectively people judge it a bit more harshly um at the time and in the preceding few years after final fantasy 10 it was critically acclaimed mm-hmm. i think i think a lot of people regarded it as this huge step forward in in visuals which will come to you later and and in some aspects gameplay but at the the sort of the atmosphere has soured as time has got on to do with the story but um we'll move on then to gameplay and the, and the general mechanics of, of the game we've already mentioned that it's much more linear than mm-hmm. than some jrpgs of its generation um you are funneled from story beat to story beat to story beat there's not a lot of stuff off the beaten path early on some of it opens up a bit later but for, for all intents and purposes you're just going through to different places and, and doing tasks and, and fighting things um and as it is a jrpg it has got a turn-based battle system um katie what did you think about it yeah i think it's i think it's a i think it's a pretty smooth system like I think as this this has come up a few times in my game playing persona that I don't yeah. waste a lot of time grinding and leveling and trying yeah. to like outpace the monsters I'm fighting. I'm just going to crash through that area. I'm probably never <laughs> going to come back again. I'm going to stay barely at level as all the monsters <laughs> hanging on, you know, just as well as I can which I think is great for Final Fantasy X because it kind of yeah. just guides you to keep going and keep up. Yeah. And um, so I like that part of it. I don't know if we want to talk about the, I think the Speak yeah right. the leveling up system that they've well, done is different. Before, yes, we'll come on to that in a sec if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Um, if we're just to finish off the, just the, the battle oh, yeah. basics for a sec. The thing that makes it different to some of the GRPGs that came before it um, and since, for some reason, I like it a lot. But um, as of Final Fantasy, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Six definitely had it. I think it might have been as of Final Fantasy four, though. It had something called an active time battle system where the enemies and you are sort of working on a timer. So you're still you're not running around. You're not pressing square to hit your uh, to slash your sword but you are selecting so things from a menu up. but yeah but things are being timed so if you sit there and don't select something in final fantasy 6 the enemies will mm. get turns from you and keep attacking you so you sort there are modes in in active time battle system games where you can turn that off and put it in wait so that while you're scrolling through a menu everything is stopped but there is an element of speed and getting things done quickly and everyone is working on this clock the whole time um and that was right the way six seven eight nine all had active time battle systems ten took that away um and made it completely turn-based to the point where on the right side of the screen you've got the turn order um and 
people are ticking round mm-hmm. that turn order and you can take as long as you like to choose what you do um and stats like speed determine where you are in the order and then if you use something like a, sl- a spell like haste or slow people will jump around on the turn order but even before you select a spell like slow it can even show you directly where your enemy will then go down into the turn order. Yeah. So you can really see the inner workings of the the turn-based system. Um, and it's so crisp and clear. I think it's so playable. And unlike, maybe unlike... Go well, on. I think that... Yeah, I was just going to say that that is part that was part of it when i was getting back into it is that even though there's no time limit you can start to like because you can switch out your allies kind of at will during the battle so you can get to a point another new thing for this mm, yeah so you can get to a point where you see the enemies you can like fluidly switch out match up each character's strengths to how they're gonna fight each specific enemy and then just bang 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 like knock it out so quick it's based on seeing what characters coming up next in the order yeah yeah, it, you, it's really easy to get grips on. And there's a lot of depth when you want to go deeper as well. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. And it does work differently in that in most JRPGs, if you level people, and you can level everyone up, which we'll come off onto in a sec, you can level everyone to be essentially good at everything mm-hmm. if you want to. Um, but early on, um, characters' strengths sort of align with different enemies. So Tylus is quick, so he, he'll he be able to take down things like wolves that run really quickly. Ty- um, Oren, with his massive sword, is incredibly strong, so he can take down armored enemies. Wacker throws a blitz ball, so he can take down aerial enemies. Magic so, from Lulu. Yeah, so there's a really, as you say, satisfying sort of to and, thro- and fro where you're bringing people in uh, for, for a particular task and switching people out, which works really well. But yeah, you're right, the leveling system is different you don't like usual just go up in levels and your stats automatically improve you use something instead called the sphere grid can you explain that to us katie yeah it's it's um i kind of forgot about it i think when i uh when i went away from final fantasy 10 for so long but yeah your your points from from leveling up and getting stronger kind of get converted into this um, it's like a board game almost, like currency that yeah. you can play on this board game called the Sphere Grid, where you move around and you move your character through different nodes that like maybe one will raise your strength and one will raise your defense and one will teach you a new ability. But you've got to kind of budget out how much you'll spend to move you around the Sphere Grid at, at, at each point. So all the characters start in different areas on this grid, learning different things but yeah like ben said you can you've i mean there, there still is like a clear path i think that you're supposed to move yeah. most characters through but you can start to branch out and spend different points on maybe buy a slot for a character that's like way far away from where they are on the grid so that you, yeah. you do get to customize more characters in that area i would yeah all i would add to that is that maybe one of the issues with the system is that i don't think it makes a lot of sense to do that mm, early on mm-hmm. in the game because as you say because everyone you can swap swap people out it's not like you need to have a party of three that can nail everything you can freely swap between them it makes sense to make sure that Oren can take down all the shield guys because his strength has, has continued to go up but then by the time you get to the end game 
and you're sort of doing the extra content it is really fun i think then to sort of branch them out and try you can complete the sphere grid for everyone which would give them all the same abilities <laughs> but um uh it does have that flexibility i just i personally never really found especially early on a reason yeah. to use that flexibility um but i think it as a jrpg i think it plays exceptionally well and i think because of its um clarity and that sort of mechanical edge to it that some systems don't have i think it holds up really well and is very very playable in in, in a way that some are like even i would argue that it's more playable than final fantasy 7 remake which i've continued to play and still love mm-hmm. but that's a difficult game to get into you know it it as things get harder, there are a lot of menus you're trying to fiddle around with while also running around the battle system, uh, around the battlefield, sorry. Um, whereas Final Fantasy X, it's a lot easier to get to grips mm-hmm. with. So I think that's a definite plus. Um, all right, let's move on then to, so let's say music, because goodness me, it's yeah, something some else. Of the best, some of the best no, Buo, Final Fantasy Buomatsu. music slash some of the best video game music ever, I think. It's it's absolutely stunning. I don't know whether I can get away with. I don't think I probably can get away with playing a little bit of Tzanakind in here. Do you think I can I from a rights perspective? Uh, I don't know. Sing it. Oh, maybe I'll look into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. But you there can are tell people to look it up though. Yeah, if you if you want to listen to a stunning piece of music, find Tzanakind, um, the Final Fantasy soundtrack. Um, it's a beautiful piece of piano music. Some of the best pieces. Uh, Nobuo Matsu has come up with, and that's saying something mm-hmm. because he is—he's got stunning, some real bangers, visionary. Yeah, so many. Um, but every piece in Final Fantasy X, I think, um, really works and is really memorable. Um, so Tzanakind is probably the closest thing you could regard to a theme. Um, but then music like that of Besaid Island—I have that on while working because it's so chill. <laughs> And it and it just it gives across the this tropical island vibe so nicely. I just want to be there with that music playing, and I'm transported back there when I play it when I'm trying to do work. <laughs> yeah, it's and like I say, the Ramstein that that's not Nobuo obviously, but the rock music yeah. that plays during the the initial Blitzball battle um, throughout the game, throughout its lengthy runtime, the music is is staggeringly good. Um, I think maybe unmatched um, in some respects. Um, and visually as well, brilliant-looking mm-hmm. game. Did that? I mean, obviously you're you're jumping back into a PS2 mm-hmm. game now. How did it strike you on a visual level? I think I think I haven't looked at the remastered um, game yet, and I think mm-hmm. there are a few points. Actually, I would almost say that I liked the straight gameplay visuals better. I think that those hold up really well. Once you get to some of the cutscenes, there is a little bit of weird visual things happening. Do you mean the um, CG cutscenes yeah. or the in-game rendered cutscenes? Like the CG cutscenes. Like I think they're they're definitely done well, but it's obvious that the tech wasn't there to make it as smooth as it could possibly be. Yeah, it's yeah. I know what you mean. Um, even though they're sort of closer to hyper realism. Mm-hmm. The cracks show on yeah. them a little bit more uh, clearly than the in-game visuals. Um, the remaster does, obviously it doesn't affect any of the CGI cutscenes. Everything else is sharpened up a lot. I would say the character models look a lot better in gameplay. So you know, like if you're playing the game 
and you actually look closely at the model of Tidus and he's got sort of a weird textured face yeah. and then you look closely at the at the NPCs they've all got that sort of similar um almost I don't want to say PS1 but you can see it's a clear <laughs> texture with very few moving parts on it um the remaster really sorts those out and makes a proper smooth model for for Tidus especially and his his face is properly rendered but the issue is it takes that same model that you play the game with and it uses that one in the cutscenes. Yeah. So, you know, um, in the PS2, so this is very in the weeds, but <laughs> I, I, I'm obsessed with this. You know, um, <laughs> you know, essentially in the gameplay and, and the gameplay cutscenes of Final Fantasy X, there are two versions of Tidus' model. There's the one that you play as with the sort of low-res mm-hmm. face, but in certain in-game cutscenes, he's got a much higher yeah. quality render face. It's not the CGI ones, but it's, it's still in-game. Yes, um, so often like the big cutscenes, he'll he'll have that mm-hmm. version in when he's having a dialogue. Um, that one's actually good. I, th- I mean, there are some issues with it, but it, ex- it emotes yeah. really well. But because the remaster just has this same one, which is much better than the gameplay one, I actually think it's a step down mm. when you get to those emotion conversation-driven ones. I actually think it doesn't look quite as good as that render in PS2, which I think is a bit of a shame. Um, but I'm sure that's an issue that's going to bother literally nobody else in the, <laughs> on the planet. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, other than that, it's, it's, a, it's a really good looking I game. Think, I think, um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe this isn't on. even like a visual, like a technical aspect. But along with, you know, we've talked about the way that the world is designed. I think that the character design of a lot of these the people that you have in your party is very is very yeah. interesting and very different than so many other games. Uh, they just yeah, they just it's look a very it, it's a different aesthetic, and I, I think we've used the word aesthetic in more or less every podcast we've done. <laughs> but I've, I've noticed that as a theme. But uh, it is a different aesthetic um, to most high fantasy games, which you have this medieval European yeah. setting. What I like about Ten is that it's. I think largely Asia inspired. There's a lot of India in in the cultures and the designs yeah, of the locations. But, but also st- with along with that, blended with like some almost steampunk elements. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's just very Abs- interesting. Absolutely, to look at. yeah. Especially in the cities, yeah. And as you say, the character models are very unique looking. So Tidus is wearing his Blitzball sort of uniform which is vibrant yellow one of his legs is longer than the other of the clothing not his actual <laughs> legs and yeah every everyone is designed in a very interesting and unique way so i think that's a definite plus yeah so i mean i, I suppose that's it i mean are there any other things before i there i have a couple of closing thoughts i want to circle back to the story just before we mm-hmm. end but are there any things that you perhaps haven't think haven't held up very well or that you know um let it down a little bit in a modern context i think we talked about we talked about the games the storyline being fairly linear it doesn't seem like it branches off into i I, I mean i again i'm thinking of seven where you have like a mini game that you have to do to move the story forward and the only time that happens in 10 is with the game of Blitzball, which we yes, good point. We haven't mentioned on, it, but I cannot stand playing Blitzball. I love it. In my I, love I, it. I, oh, I, I play the first required Blitzball game you have to play, and then I never touch it yeah. again for the whole rest of the game. I have to say, 
I like it as an adult. I hated it as a child. I hate it as um, an adult as well. You hate it as an adult as well. The thing is, what's disappointing about it is that you watch this opening cutscene where they're all swimming around this huge orb filled with water, and it's incredibly kinetic. It's an incredibly quick game of sort of underwater rugby. And then you get to play it in game. And for one, you can only move along the x-axis, so you you can't move up or down. You only move move left. You can only move on one yeah, plane. Yeah, you're incredibly hamstrung on play the actual gameplay of it. Yeah, and then it um, unfolds. Games of blitzballing the gameplay unfold in a turn-based way. So you sort of swim around, and eventually you get contacted by a defender or whatever and you've got the ball and but then nothing happens they then sort of swim and you go into a mini battle with them and you can throw the blitz so say you get near the goal but then the 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 guy before well i don't know any sport terms what would you call someone a defender comes at you just before the goal and you've got this guy in front of you you've got the ball you want to score so you kick the oh, ball so convoluted but, but you've got <laughs> you kick the ball but you've got this defender and there'll be a stat based on you know however much you've leveled up how powerful that kick is going to be or the the, chances they're basically meaningless to to me (laughs) but but you've got the stat say it's 12 and you kick the ball but then you've got a defender and depending on how good that defender is he'll jump up and he'll touch the ball and if he's a really good defender he's going to take maybe six or seven points why do you need all this He's, he's going to take maybe six or seven points off your score of scoring. And then, so the ball's... But he didn't block the ball because he wasn't that good. But the ball is can spun off and it's now going towards the goal. But your number, your points of kick are still going down and down and down. We've and then you get to the goalie. All the, of our listeners. The ball... <laughs> The ball is about to get to the goalie, and now you're at like two, but the goalie's defence score is three, so he catches the ball. And that's how it works. And it, yeah, it's that sort of so, number crunch. So simple. And it's so so succinctly explained by me as well. It is very dry. And as a child, I had absolutely no interest in it. But when I replayed it on Vita, I really got into it. And when you get good at Blitzball, it's sort of like a runaway train in that you you play a couple of matches where it's hard and then you suddenly level up enough and you get Jack Shot Mark Three or whatever. And then you just dominate. Because there's a, there's a move that Titus can learn where it, it just eliminates all of that nonsense i just explained because if you're near the goal and you use jacked shot titus just punches the ball into the defender <laughs> and it bounces back and he catches it and he punches it into another person it bounces back and he catches it so then when he kicks the ball you've got no defense it just goes in every time so if you get like if you get good enough um, moves with titus you just become unstoppable and, that, and to me that's enjoyable but the problem is you have to do a lot of blitzball if you want whacker's final weapon and it's not but, enjoyable uh, at all in the beginning <laughs> no it, it, and i think that's a valid complaint as well the side material generally isn't brilliant and even blitzball you can just do it from any save point it's not like you go to the blitzball mm-hmm. stadium again and, and uh, get on with it so it doesn't really feel that grounded either um so definitely side content i think is arguably an issue but there is some gone well, is this more about side context no 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 it's fine cool well i mean but Apart from apart from that, I mean, this is my last thing before we get on to final thoughts. Is that this the game still has managed? I think in a in a you know a very similar way. I keep bringing up Final Fantasy VII, but I'd say it's at at that level to permeate other gaming areas. Again, I'm thinking of Kingdom Hearts, where many Final yeah. Fantasy X characters featured heavily 
and in weird forms in some ways. Yeah. Like Titus comes They're back very as a weird child. Yuna comes back as children. like a fairy. So Is that in yeah, two? Yeah, in Kingdom Hearts two I've not they, I've not the, seen her. The girls from Final Fantasy ten two come back. Sick. So That's cool. Yeah, it, it is one of those it it played large in popular mm-hmm. video game culture at the time. Um and you can see why. And I think it's yeah, it does hold up in in that sense. Um, closing thoughts then, just to circle back to the story briefly. The thing I like most about it is I just think it's a really sweet game. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, um, and not sweet in a sort of 90s radical way, sweet as in, you know, nice. Um, I think the relationship between Tidus and Yuna, and I think it's, it's quite obvious, is, is sort of a burgeoning love story. I think is delivered despite some of the hammy dialogue in a really nice mm-hmm. um in some ways authentic way the way it builds up and how they sort of are, are communicating slightly at the beginning and you can see how she feels about him and how that changes really clearly over the game it's one of the first as a child it's one of the first narratives I engaged with that I was invested yeah. in a in a love story like that um I think it really it really delivers on that promise as, as the game progresses. And then obviously, I won't spoil it, but it has one of the most poignant endings for a Final Fantasy mm-hmm. game out of the whole series that I think it nails. It deals with themes of family as well, of, of fatherhood between Titus and his father, Jekt, um, really well. I just think it's it's a, it's a very wholesome yeah, game. Even, and it deals with... Go well, on. even... Um, the, I, this is different to the romance but the relationship between i'm thinking of two characters in your party waka and riku waka who is yeah. like part of this this religion of yevon like a you know very hardcore into it riku who is another race in spira the albed who are considered to be like yeah. heathens in the eyes of of yevon yeah, but man. even they start to try and come back their differences yeah. and you know work through their prejudices yeah so there are definitely it's grappling with big themes and I think generally it grapples with them effectively. It made me fall in love with the characters and I, you know, I'm still enraptured by that world to this day. And I, th- I think it's really as when it comes to why Final Fantasy X is my favorite game, it's just, it's that it's just that I, I like those characters. I like spending time with them. It makes me feel things <laughs> um, even, even to this day. And it, yeah. It did, um, it did make me, you know, feel coming back to it after so long like wow there's a lot there's a lot that i missed about this game and about how it really has heart in all the right places and it's yeah. uh takes it doesn't take itself as seriously as i thought of even in some of these like weird cringy moments i think it it yeah. um it really plays through that all very well yeah absolutely it has something to say and it says it for the most part well with a cast of a very likable engaging characters um and also it's just it's it's good and simple to play so i think it's one that i can come back to every now and then throw it on the vita on the ps4 and it's not it doesn't have any barrier to entry and i can just get on with it and i I really like that over stats and no anything like that no so i would i would say then definitely if you're someone who has been listening to this podcast who maybe isn't that familiar with jrpgs I can't really think of a better JRPG to start with than Final Fantasy X because I think it it's simple enough to engage with on that level, um, but it will draw you in, and I think it very well could you know give you a love of the genre as, as it did for for me. So um, yeah, 
obviously a thorough recommend. As I said, apart from that one visual quirk, which I've now discussed in length, the remaster is very, very good. I would also say about the remaster, it runs brilliantly. The trophy support's all very good. I, I think you can't really fault it. They have redone the music mm. with full, or, uh, you know, full orchestra, um, which is good and it sounds brilliant. But I have to say, I marginally prefer the original. So, like, and the good thing about the remaster is, I think you can choose which version of the soundtrack yeah. to have. But especially Besaid, it's not. It takes away the synth and puts a lot more strings in. I think, which sounds like it would be better, but it's not quite as chill. Um, so and that's, what we that's want my fact in these, of the day. These times is chill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I love it. Go and play it if you haven't already. And definitely, even if you've been away from it for a very long time, it's uh, it's worth coming back to. Cool, cool, cool. All right, we'll leave this there and we'll be back with our dessert. See you in a bit. And we're back with the final section of this week's Consumed Podcast. It's our dessert, which is usually one game that Katie and I have uh, played that we want to share with you, um, something we recommend. Um, this week's it's a little different because it's actually a game that both Katie and I have played at the same time, and you know we're going to share that experience with you now. It's called TikTok. What's the subtitle? Um, TikTok, a tale for two. Nice. And this is one that Katie found whilst looking for some good cooperative games. We've been playing it. Well, we finished it on Steam. Um, do you want to give us a rundown of this, Katie? Yeah, I, I uh, like you said, I was looking for multiplayer games, um, but I am always like, I'm not wanting a game where you just go into like the same area and like fight things together. Like, I guess even Stardew Valley is a, is a bit like that where you're both in the same area, but I think it's, you're, you know, you're working towards different things to solve problems together, which I like. Mm, so yeah. this game, TikTok is a bit like the person who I, I got this recommendation from described it as like, it's almost escape room vibes vibes sorry which ben and i have done a few escape rooms together and really like them and would love to do more when we're together in person again so this is a game that you both get on your separate devices i think it's it's on steam you can get it for mobile it's coming out on switch later you play the game at the same time but one person is player one and one person is player two and they see completely different things to the other one so like maybe they're playing through the same storyline but one person is in 1927 and one person is in 1937 and you have to constantly be talking and saying i see this on my screen i see this on my screen how are we going to solve these puzzles based on what each person sees absolutely yeah and um it was it's relatively reasonably priced i think i paid four pounds or 4.99 for it yeah um i suppose i haven't got that much to add to that because that's a very thorough um description um it's really really inventive and what's amazing about it is that there isn't actually any connection going on between the two players you don't need to be online your your game doesn't have to be connected to the internet at all yeah the only thing they need said to be is, speaking yeah, you have to be on like a, a voice voice is the only thing you need 
Yeah, so how it works is that you just, at the beginning of the game, you choose either player one or two, and you have to make sure that you're doing um, either mm-hmm. one or two, so you've got both bases covered. Um, but then, just the way the, the puzzles work is that they just rely... Um, you may have certain information in yours that allows the other person to unlock parts mm-hmm. of, of their um, puzzle um, and vice versa. And it, it flows effortlessly. But it, for me, what I really liked about it was it was just the the perfect level of challenge. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of, I'm not, you know, some escape rooms we've done have felt needlessly mm-hmm. obtuse for me. Um, and some have, have felt too easy but I thought what was great about this is that I think it struck a really good balance. I mean, some of it obviously jumped out at you, quite, especially early mm-hmm. on. Just while you're kind um, of getting into it. Yeah, but I think it it, ju- it was just the perfect level of difficulty for, for us. And it, it wasn't... Um, and we, yeah. uh, I was just going to say, it's not super long. I mean, we played through it in no. like, what, two afternoons? Yeah, I, I'd say we, we probably didn't even spend four mm-hmm. hours on it, did we? Which, you know, I suppose for some, and I was a little disappointed actually that because mm-hmm. I was enjoying it so much, I could have played yeah. lots more. But for what for what you actually get in there, it's thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. And I, I would heartily recommend it to any couple or, you know, couple of friends. Yeah, because I mean, you could definitely play it in, this, in the same room. We just kind of happen yeah. to be, happen to be apart. But if you just get two devices, you can sit on the couch and they, yeah i think in, they just fact, say in, yeah to like don't look at the other person's screen to kind of keep up the keep up the effect yeah because you're like constantly having to explain mm-hmm. in precise detail which is a lot of the fun trying to explain to to the person what you can see so that they can um understand how to unlock their um whatever they're trying to unlock in their puzzle um there were a couple of moments where it was getting to the point where especially i think it was the very last puzzle where it was i had to print screen something to say look this is what this is do you do you notice and that didn't even help us i think even even when we looked at each other like when ben sent me a picture of like okay this is what i have what are we supposed to do it ended up being that we had to go back to something completely different that we had just missed and had to spend more time looking at yeah, if there's one tip I'd give is that you can get to the point where you start overthinking yeah. things, which is what I did. Um, we were sort of we were going on Morse code websites trying to think if there'd been subliminal messaging. So, yeah, so I, I would just say, as a hint, I will say that everything that you need to complete those um, puzzles uh, is in the game itself. So there's there will never be any point where you need to go outside yeah. of it. Um, so keep that in mind. I guess my um, but my yeah. last thing about this, when Go you on. were saying, you know, you, you wish that there was more, I ended up looking at the the studio that made it is Other Tales Interactive, and this is their only game. Um, but I was very interested because it's um, it's just it's two women um, who both had their bachelor's degree in literature and linguistics. And then they ended up wow. meeting while they were studying their masters in game design. So like those two That's things really put cool. together, the, you can definitely, I think, tell that, you know, the way the story put together is, is yeah, it makes you want to keep going and, and find out how yeah. it's all going to, how it's all going to get tied The story's down. really interesting, mm-hmm. actually, isn't it? You can tell that it's, it's, it's written by people who know what mm-hmm. they're doing linguistically. <laughs> Very, very intriguing. Have to say, I was a little bit lost by the end. We had to look yeah, up we had and to, just sort of you confirm. Have to kind of sit down and think about like, are you what? 
what just happened. Yeah, maybe we should play it again with fresh yeah, knowledge I bet that and see would, if we can. We would definitely be able to be like, oh, like that definitely makes sense yeah. based on what we know later. So, so maybe we could eke some more gameplay out of it's it. It's definitely, one. definitely we a could fun switch, way to and spend we could sw- some time. Yeah, and we could go down the other path. Yeah, I would like we, to do that. We swap roles. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a definite recommend again from uh, from us for that one. Um, it's called TikTok. Nothing to do with the app. <laughs> um, just normal spelling. Yeah. Thoroughly recommend. Have a look on Steam for that. And yeah, it's worth mentioning as well. We played it on PC and Mac. But so it is coming out. I think they said for Switch um, by the by either this year. It might be already out or is coming out by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, anyway, that marks the end of that segment and the end of the podcast so thank you for joining me katie thank you everybody for joining us katie where can we find you on the internet uh yeah i think the best place to go would probably be our podbean website which provides links to both of our socials uh so my twitter and my twitch are there i didn't get a lot of twitch gameplay in this last week um we had some wild weather where i live and it made (laughs) our internet almost unusable for the most part so Mm. Yeah, so I mean that that's probably good. Yeah, you can um, find all of our links on there. Um, I'm as ever playing Resident Evil Seven today <laughs> with Harry. Last week we fell out over it, <laughs> so I hope that hopefully, hopefully um, it will be a little bit easier going. I've decided to not take out my intense fear on on him and his lack of hints. So uh, I'll, I'm going to try and bring down bring down the level a little bit. But it's a thoroughly entertaining stream. I think I uh, every Sunday evening um yeah so we're at twitch.tv forward slash foxfight cool well everyone stay safe have a good week and we'll catch you next time bye Bye.